So, Berto, I thought we'd just kick back and have a fun episode in which we reviewed some of the 13 lists that we made for the 13th anniversary show. You know, we recorded 13 hours. <laughs> I can't believe we did that. Are you sure we did that? A few weeks ago <laughs> for our 13th anniversary show on YouTube. And I never post those uh, episodes, or sometimes I do, but... Uh, and people will be like, oh, I, I missed it, you know, and I want to um, enjoy it. And I'm always like, eh, one, I kind of feel like I want it to be a real live event where you kind of had to be there. It's 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 a special, you know, we record everything else. So yeah. uh, there's that. And two, so often with those 13-hour or those marathon episodes that we do, they crumble pretty quickly and... <laughs> deteriorate and I don't want that out there. <laughs> so I thought to make it up to the listeners we would go back with fresh minds and sure. not 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 uh weighed down by 12 hours of talking and actually review some of those yeah. top 13 lists that we developed. What do you say, Berto? I think that sounds like a great plan. This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirkonda. I'm a therapist and I'm also a professor. My name is Umberto Castaneda, and I sell timers, essentially stopwatches, for live streamers who go over 12 hours in a live stream. <laughs> so, did you know that YouTube says you can, the max live show you can, or YouTube stream, live stream you can do is 12 hours? Did you know that they say that? Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So, <laughs> so there was a chance that our final hour. not be. <laughs> right. But what they mean is they'll only DVR 12 hours. Mm. So so if you wanted to keep it up, the last hour would have been... Well, no, the first hour would get like snipped off. You know what I mean? It only, it only DVRs I, I the, the most a, recent 12 hours. I think you had a good idea because I do think that the one problem with... Because um, I agree with you mostly. It's just that the one problem is that we have people on such different time zones. Yeah. I like this idea, this concept that we should explore maybe of doing like two shows for different right. time zones. So <laughs> after the 13th, uh, Berto and I are... You know, we're getting old. We're getting up there into ages. So we're... Like the 11 hour, I felt like we killed it. Yeah. We were fine. 12 hour, surprisingly, fine. Yeah. This past year, I feel like both of us have <laughs> somehow aged. 13 was so hard compared to 12. Yeah, I mean, halfway through my brain wasn't working anymore. And so I had this idea of like, well, 14, we could break it up into two seven-hour chunks and do it at different time, you know, like one in the morning, one like like a Saturday morning and then a Sunday night. That way, depending on where you are on the planet, you'd be yes, able to join yes. in. And, by the way, and, and seven hours is still pretty marathon. Well, that's a marathon. Yeah. But by the way, I went back because I wanted to hear the songs I did last year in the in the thing. Yeah, I didn't realize. Do you know that I wrote those songs a week before the podcast? I forgot that. And now they were shorter. They were all like 30, 35 seconds, uh -huh. and, and I played them live. But that. So in a way, it worked in my advantage because I couldn't have memorized them and kept them memorized for like six months without practicing them all the time. But I, I was like, what? That was crunch mode. <laughs> How did you get access to that recording? I have the, the practices. I don't have the, the podcast. Oh. I have my uh, recordings on my phone oh. as I was writing them. So I have like take one, take two. But they start on August 1st. <laughs> yeah, but you were terrifying me because I'm like, wait, it's on YouTube? Anyway. Yeah. Um, so 
we're, let's do top 13 movies that made me cry. Mm-hmm. Birdo, give your 13, starting with okay, number 13. Okay, number 13, my ironic pick of Indiana Jones. I can't even say it. And the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Indiana Jones 4. Um, I just mean, this movie made me cry inside because it kind of killed the little child in me. Uh, I, I hated this movie. I love Indiana so, Jones. So when you saw this, were you rolling your eyes the whole time? Well, when it start, when it first started, I was like super excited. I'm like, I can't believe it. Yeah. But pretty soon into it, the problem started. I didn't super roll my eyes until it was over. And really? Because once it was, especially when the crystal skulls were spinning and yeah. the mountain and the whole thing, I was like... I was kind of like, I don't really well, even understand what's happening. And then when the credits started roll, I was like, wait, what? I started, I wouldn't call it rolling my eyes, but I started getting worried early on. Because early in the movie, Indy Harrison, he was acting a little old. And, and look, by the way, he did great in Star Wars, in the Star Wars movies. Yeah. So I don't know what happened, the direction. Or well, I think he went through a period where he decided he was going to act in the most subtle of ways maybe yeah yeah you know how like yeah. al pacino became less subtle yes and like you, you couldn't make him do a subtle <laughs> if uh, you wanted to but harrison ford went the other direction right and so like i saw and then they did the nuke where he hides hides in the in the fridge and i was like okay but then i got a little a little bit of hope when shayla buff shows up because i'm like okay i like this i like where this is going then it started devolving again. And then by the time Marion shows up, she was so great in the original. She was terrible in this yeah. movie. Yeah, the and, bugs and, oh, and the jungle oh, and the cars. And then by the but when he's swinging from the vines, when she is swinging from the vines, it was over. Let alone when I realized we were dealing with aliens. I'm like, Indiana Jones does not deal with aliens. I'm right, sorry. Right. right. Yeah. Anyways, number 12, for real now, Up. The movie up. The whole first sequence with the the couple aging together, and spoiler alert: the the wife passing away. Oh my gosh, that was so impactful. I was so tears. We didn't do this during the live show, but let's let's rate the actual tears that the you tears? that okay. you had while you watched it. Okay, or or during a viewing because it could have been like the third time. Sometimes when I watch things a third time, I cry even more. Yeah, but so. So let, let's 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 do a scale. So from one is like you feel the tears you in your eyes, some moisture, but they don't fall. Right. Two is tears yeah, are now tier. a tear tear one or two are one definitely two, yeah. like you know dripping right. down your cheek. Three is snot and tears coming down your face. Sure. Four is your convulsing you know convulsing. You're <laughs> okay so on a on a scale from one to four oh one to four i thought we were going to ten okay great <laughs> okay scale of one to four I, up for me was um in the moment at the beginning of the movie it was about a two i would give the whole movie about a one because the rest of the movie wasn't a tearjerker yeah okay 11 batman versus superman unorthodox i get it you can send me hate mail but I gotta be honest, when Superman died and the whole funeral thing, I was in tears. Scale from tears. one to four. Eh, there was a two as well. Yeah, when, when Superman sacrifices himself, to me, that is the quintessential superhero yeah. behavior. The, you know, 
fighting the evil, maybe even dying yourself like that. Like when Tony Stark uh, takes the nuclear nu- nu- nuclear missiles yeah. into the portal. Right. That kind of stuff gets me. So I was definitely a two. When, when but Superman. again, that's the moment I was crying. The movie as a whole won at most, not even maybe, because it wasn't a tearjerker movie. Well, yeah, don't rate the movie, just that moment. But I have to because the, the top ones are going to be like, you'll see like okay but anyways uh Les Mis uh yeah this one had me in tears also a two it's it's mainly the song she sings uh Fantine she sings this famous song and it just oh it was uh Anne Hathaway in the movie and in the in the musical it's whoever sings and I forget the name of the actress I was seeing but super touching and very very poignant moment if you've ever listened to the lyrics you know I had a dream about what life could be, but life has killed that dream, I dream. And it's, it's so relatable for as you, as you age and you have moments of like, wow, what just happened to my life? Um, and it's just, uh, you know, getting a little weepy right now. All right, number nine, The Sound of Music. Now this one, it grew as a tearjerker for me. As a kid, I just loved the music. But when I watched it as an adult, especially as I've gotten older, the, the numbers have climbed. So I think it's inched up to a three at some points because it gets to that moment where... Which where moment? It's when they're trying to figure out how they're going to escape and they don't have an out because they were trying to leave in the middle of the night and they've been found. And and I'm like, just I'm feeling that like the thought of like you have this family you're responsible for you're trying to flee in the middle of the night that's when you cry the Nazis that's where it starts and then it continues and then it escalates till the 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 performance and then when the nuns help them escape but I think actually no no the worst part is when uh, Liesel where uh, I forget the name of the boy who loves Liesel uh, the Nazi boy um, <laughs> the Nazi boy where he doesn't does, when he doesn't whistle. Oh, sorry, when, when he doesn't whistle, and he's about to let them go, and then unfortunately the captain pushes it a little far, and says, "I knew you didn't have it in you," and then he whistles. Oh my gosh, I'm just like, I'm just so emotional during that whole thing. So I think the whole thing for me is like a three there. Um, okay, eight. It's a wonderful life. This is another three for me. I. I have a lot of moments in this movie where it's just like tears. And then there's a moment where it's definitely a three. And that is the, uh, when he's home, when he get finally, arrested. when everyone starts showing up to help him. Yeah. Oh, I lose it. Of course. That's the, the point. That's the, it's engineered perfectly. Yeah. Oh God. It's so, touching. he's holding like his daughter. Susan's panels. And he's got a daughter. He's everything. Yeah. Oh, uh, okay. Number seven, the pursuit of happiness. So no sobbing. Um, do you have no heart? I have a heart, but I'm, I'm trying to build up to it. Okay. Number seven, The Pursuit of Happiness with Will Smith. Which I have not seen, which is so strange. This is a movie where there, this one touched deep because I had a dad that was a single dad in New York trying to deal with me. And um, so I don't, I just like, it like feels personal. And so when he's trying to make it and a lot of things are going wrong for him and the, and he's just trying to be a good dad and he's trying to make it like I broke down and cried. I, I think this one may, may have only been a two, but the feeling of the movie overall makes me feel like a three. <laughs> okay. Uh, number six, Boyhood. 
another one where like it's a long movie so i certainly didn't cry from beginning to end but there were many moments in this movie where i just felt a connection to the story like where i could relate having been a boy having grown up i could relate to the moments and i could relate so well to the pain to the the insecurity to all the things and and i cried i cried i probably had multiple twos and multiple threes throughout the movie mm. five Toy Story 3. Probably my first four in the bunch. Okay. Yeah. This one had a couple twos early on. But when they get to that moment where you're transferring the toy ownership. Oh, God. That was a full on four. Yeah. Category four. (laughs) Yeah. God. Oh, God. And every every time I see that scene, it's a four. Yes. Yeah. But what are the other... So, obviously, when they're about to die, that's a three. Oh, I cried early on because I... Those, those movies do such a good job immediately. I remember at the, at the first part of this, the story, um, I remember that like they're showing how Andy is no longer... Oh, right. Right? And so I'm already like, oh. Yeah. Oh. And then when they show the story of how um, the toy was left at the park, uh, you know, the, the little girl left the bear. Oh, right. Oh, I'm like, oh, God. But anyways. Okay. The bear who becomes evil. Yes, exactly. Okay, number four, Rogue One. Okay, so this is a weird one because for the majority of the movie, I'm not in tears. I'm just really enjoying the movie. But my reaction was so visceral, so intense, so uncontrollable when Darth Vader shows up until the end when the credits start that it, it, it had to be number four because basically I went from like, oh, I love this movie. This is so exciting to I'm a child and I am uncontrollably crying for everything that's good and holy. And <laughs> I'm cheering and crying Darth Vader. Why am I cheering Darth Vader? I don't know. I'm just like, oh my God, the realization of the power. Because that was part of it. As kids, we knew he was so powerful. And they did actually a really good job, probably because of the limitations of the tech, but they did a good job of making it feel powerful. But we never got to see like a full display of all the things that he could do. Well, and it hadn't been worked out yet. And it hadn't been worked out yet. But we saw so many subsequent uh, Jedi abilities that were like, well, shouldn't it? He's really powerful. Yeah. Now, I actually, to be fair. And it was perfectly choreographed because unlike uh, jumping beam (laughs) Yoda, uh, Yoda, it it fit with what he his age and exactly. with his with the canon exactly. of that age because you know he uh, a day later is with uh yeah uh, is is with uh obi-wan kenobi fighting and he's real stiff but yeah. uh so he was kind of stiff in that scene in rogue one but he he still had all of yes. his abilities and it, and it looked like it would have fit and to see because he's not fighting a jedi yeah to see how he can cut through normal humans yeah Without having to break Nothing. a sweat. Yeah. Just and that was what I wanted Yoda to be, right? Yoda right, of course. was the 37th chamber. Of course. Yoda would have been, it was even more decrepit. Exactly. He had a cane, for God's exactly. sakes. Yeah. yeah. So, anyways, that made me. Well, so, let me, so I, I'm going to talk about Rogue One since yeah, we're yeah, on the top. Since it's on so, here. this is my number six. Yeah. I start crying. I cry the whole second half. I've, and I've, <laughs> I rewatched this movie, and I even. I, at some point, I think identified Rogue One as like my favorite Star Wars movie. This yeah, point. I remember you saying that. Yeah. Um, and I cry when K two S O gets he, <laughs> he sacrifices himself. Um, that's probably like a like a three. 
I cry when uh, uh, what's her face and what's his face are hugging uh, as the they know it as the blast is coming. I cry when um, I am the one with the force and the force is with me. I am with the force and the force is with me. Oh gosh! And and he sacrificed, and then his friend is like, no, and and I cry when. Oh, there's just so many moments in that because there's like I cry when uh, uh, what's his name from Sound of Metal? Uh, oh, right. He yeah. he sacrifices. He like gets. He's like, you know, the signal is up, and then one of the stormtroopers throws in a grenade, and he died. Like I oh, cry, I cry during yeah. that part. Like it's just so. I, I think you're right. I, I I had multiple, certainly ones, probably twos throughout the movie. But the, the thing is, it felt more normal. Like this is a movie with good moments, with very you know sacrifices and things. I I wasn't expecting the visceral breakdown at the end like that was yeah. weird and when the x-wings uh you know the because during the battle of yavin you had like right. red leader and right. but you didn't have the blue wing and, right. and the blue wing was was the group that got through the and ended yeah. up dying in the end you know yeah. and so uh just seeing the x-wings flying around that yeah. uh serif base and blowing crap up yeah. and and the troops on the ground and you know it, it it's a it's it's like a d-day movie for for and, and star you wars. know as a star wars fan the stakes of what they're fighting for so it's yeah this and then is you what, see oh, the man. the death star on the horizon yeah oh yeah so good I, now non-star wars fans are listening to us and going you nerds <laughs> all right what's your next one Number three, Inside Out. Yeah, that's my number two. Okay, so Inside Out. Um, basically, I'll keep it short because I'll let you go too. But this is a movie I didn't expect. I knew it was Pixar. I like Pixar movies. I knew I was going to like it probably. But I didn't expect almost anything from it. The, the previews were like, okay, this is like that show that came out in the 90s. and Yeah, uh, Herman's in, in Herman's Head, yeah. But it's gonna, I'm sure it's going to be funny. I thought it was going to be funny. That was the point. Yeah. It's going to be a funny movie. Because what wacky characters are in our heads. But, dude, from the very get-go, when the baby is born, I'm already, I'm already crying at the beginning. I'm already crying at the beginning when the baby's... When she's like... And she's born, and I'm in her head, and I'm like, I'm already crying. And then I, I see, like, the problem developing with, like, the little character's sadness, and I'm like, oh, God, no. Oh, God, no. And then as the memories, and I'm like, I know what's going to happen to the memory. No, no. And then bing, bong, that that whole movie was just a roller coaster for me. It was like probably threes and fours the whole movie. Yeah, me too. Right. And the the killer is the one at the end when she starts to cry. When she, when the, I'm, I'm, I'm right now. You've reclaimed. I am, oh God, I feel it in my fingers. I feel it in my toes. The moment when she, when um, the main uh, Joy realizes the flip side to that story, the hockey story. Yeah. Oh God, I lose it. Yeah. I lose it. Yeah. Uh, I cry throughout this movie. You know, bing bong, that's a four. Um, (laughs) uh, and it's such a good movie and it's so deep and like uh, 
Nothing's if, cheap in it. Like, there's no cheap cries yeah. in this. If movie. there's a movie that I uh, would w- wish that everyone on the planet should watch, including children, it would be this movie. Like, it's not only funny and entertaining, but it's so poignant. I mean, there's nothing like it. I don't know a single movie. Maybe Eternal Sunshine of Spotless Mind has a similar deep philosophical uh, conundrum that it explores and, and you yeah. feel. But this movie, it just... It hits you like a ton of bricks, and you just feel so bad. And it, and it's, and it, the genius of it is that it's such a mundane story. Yeah, a girl <laughs> and her parents they move. move move from Minnesota to California, and she's a little, and she's having trouble adjusting. Yeah. That's it. Who doesn't yeah, and she feels a little ignored. And the whole thing takes place over what, like a couple like, days? A couple days, yeah. yeah, yeah. All right, what's your number one? Uh, no, number, no, number two. two. Number two is Moana. Yeah. Make way, make way. So, okay, Moana caught me off guard for sure. I went to watch it in the theater. and With I did Yeah, and I didn't know what I was getting into. I thought it was, again, another... I mean, again, all these movies are not surprising that I would like them. Well, when you think of... When you hear of a new Disney movie, it's kind of a roll of the dice. You're probably going to like it. Yeah. But you don't think you're going to... Like, think it's one of the best movies of all time. No. And I, I had preconceived notions from the trailers. I This is why that, you never watch trailers. Bro. I don't watch trailers generally, but I'm saying even just like the little scenes or whatever. I didn't have an interest in seeing this movie, really. I was like, yeah, I'll see it. It's, it of course, it's a Disney movie. I'll see it. Okay. Then the movie starts. And when the movie opens, it's not immediately obvious to me why it's going to impact me so much because I can't relate that much to those cultures. Like I didn't grow up on an island. I'm not a Pacific Islander. I have friends that are, but I'm not. And so it's not like I'm immediately like transported to my childhood or something or anything. But they do such a good job of layering the breaks. Now we've got the grandma in the mix. Okay, now I start feeling because I got grandmas. And then we've got this push-pull of adventure and I'm like, okay, that's interesting. But the, the, the place where it really starts grabbing me is, first of all, this is the first movie I can think of where there's a female hero who from beginning of the movie to the end of the movie is just the hero. She's the hero of the movie. She's not also some, someone's this, that, and the other thing. And, and she is a rich, cool, great character. Yeah. There's no excuses. Nothing is needed to excuse this. Yeah. She's just the hero. Okay. So that was already kind of getting me. I wasn't expecting that. And then... The moment that really just blew Wait, so my mind. Were you crying in the mid and beginning of the movie? No, not at the beginning. I definitely cried with the grandma. That was the grandma. That's where I started, and then I started having little tears because what what happened was this was like ones and twos. The songs were so good. The songs were so good that I would like start actually crying a little bit during the songs because they were so good. Well, the other thing I actually just recently rewatched this uh, movie the other day. The art, the artistry, and, oh, yeah. and the the way they got her hair, and the way they got the his hair, and the way they got the tattoos, and the water, and the boat, and the lava, and the wind, yeah. and the stars, and the sand, like it feels. It's obviously a cartoon. It's not like supposed to be photorealistic, yeah. but it. I can. You can just feel the it viscerally. This movie, absolutely. So then when do I start with the threes? The threes start when she sees 
her grandma. She, you know, her grandma swims and then she sees her grandma. She talks to her grandma and stuff. I'm crying. I'm like, oh my God, it's my grandma. It's like, what's... It's, you're relating to your grandma? Oh, yeah. And just... Like what? Aspect. How are you? How are you relating? I'm relating to my, my dead grandma and I'm relating to my alive grandma because my grandma who's dead is my mom. She's the one who raised me. And I'm relating to my alive grandma because she's a rebel and she is rebellious. She reminds me a lot of the grandma in the movie. Mm. Not in the appearance necessarily. The appearance actually reminds me of my other grandma. But in her attitude about life and how lively she was to the very end. Like that's my Liti. That's... So I'm like sitting there, oh God. But then when the climax, spoiler alert, the climax where she starts, uh, Moana starts putting together that the monster is the island, I start having this one of those full on four or five yeah. convulsive fits. Right, because the way that it is depicted, you have this, this, I don't know about you, I had this deep, because uh, you and I, Berto, are harming the planet every day. Yes, and it is, yes. and and it's striking back at us. Yes, and it it's personal. This movie. <laughs> and normally, I can put one and one together in movies. I'm really good at. I, you and I have talked about this. A lot of you're times you're very good at like predicting. Predicting. Like, oh, no, the butler did it. I, I had no idea where, where, what was happening. I, I just thought, I, I was already fully into this movie, but I figured, well, it's a, it's a mythology, right? So there's an evil god and there's a thing. But when I start putting it together along with Moana, I'm like, wait, 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 wait. Of course. Oh, my God, of course. And then the the music and the seas part. And then, they, she, and then and at the end, she, she puts her head, her forehead her on the forehead. Phone. And she says, the lyrics are, this is not who you are. You know who you are. And they touch. I, I, I was afraid because the, the movie gets quiet. I was afraid I was going to get kicked out because I couldn't <laughs> control myself. I don't remember that. I was crying. I mean, I was trying to not be loud, but I was like, <laughs> and, and just like full breakdown, full breakdown. And then the, the like, lasted till the end i don't know it just it was yeah and by the way like this list of top 13 oh. is like a combination of how much we cry and also like how much we like the movie it, you know for Berto and i if we just listed every movie we cried in it would be like a thousand right, movies right, right. so i will say i definitely cry during moana and probably every disney movie yeah but it's not in my top 13. Right. I just want to make that clear. My number one, I Am Sam, which is a movie you have not seen. Have not seen. Yeah. So this movie for me was too many things, the confluence of too many things that would make me cry. First of all, it's Beatles music. And put in a way where it's, it's like Mr. Holland's Opus times three or something. Number two, it's a single parent that relates to my childhood but no but then you stack on top of it as a single parent with parent with severe limitations to their parenting in this case because he is he has he is mentally handy uh, what, what's the right way to say it He's developmentally disabled d developmentally disabled my dad wasn't but he had other very big challenges and so i'm like oh my gosh oh my gosh 
And then the story is so good, so strong. And there are moments in that story that you don't know how it's possible that someone could get through those moments. I cried at four level crying for probably half this movie. So impactful. Yeah. So much so that I haven't been able to watch it again because I'm afraid. <laughs> it's such an emotional movie. All right. Well, that's beautiful. Let's take a break. Get back. We'll do my top 13. What do you say, Brito? Let's do it. All right. We're back from the break. Let's do some OPP. OPP. Some old patron praise. These patrons became patrons in August of 2018 and have mm-hmm. remained patrons ever since then. Three wow. three years they've three been patrons. Three patron years. We, and a patron year is like 10 years in human years. That's right. So Lucia has been a patron. Uh, we don't know where Lucia is from. We have Nathan from Longview, Washington. Woo! Beautiful Longview there. Longview. Did you know there is a n- nuclear uh, power plant down there? Wait, that's not Hanford or whatever? Oh, wait, Longview. No, is it Longview? Yeah, Longview and Kalam, Kalama. Anyway, uh, Kristen from uh, California. We got Jenny from Massachusetts. Woo! Have, I lived in Massachusetts. Is she from Ooster? We have Liz from Vermont. Yay. We have W from God Knows Where. We have <laughs> Aileen from Hackensack, New Come Jersey. Come on, Aileen. Uh, Hackensack is a fun town. Hackensack. We got Lauren from Sherman Oaks, California. Nice. We got Claudia from Helsinki, Finland. Whoa. We have Leif from God Knows Where. We have Jen from Las Vegas. Oh. Vegas, baby. We got Nicole from Youngsville, New York. Nice. We got Diana from San Antonio, Texas. We got uh, Holly from Montreal, Quebec. Nice. And we have upper tier patron Mimi from Nawala, Oklahoma. Mm. Thank you all for being patrons and being patrons for so long. Speaking of Oklahoma, I just watched this series called uh, Schmigadoon. Have you seen this? No. I don't know if you'll like it. Do you, you don't like musicals so much. You uh, don't do musicals as much. I mean, I'll watch them, but, I'm, but I, they don't really... I would watch the first episode. If it doesn't catch you, don't watch the rest. Mm-hmm. But, but it's a show with um, uh, Key, Keegan. Keegan-Michael Key. Michael um, and I forget the actress's name, but she's like SNL alum, I think. Anyways, they're they're trapped in a town where it's an eternal musical, and they kind of like reference a lot of the musicals, and they're always breaking into songs. Yeah, probably not gonna like it. Okay, but I I had a lot of fun <laughs> watching. <laughs> I can appreciate it. You actually would you would feel like he felt because he was like, why are they singing songs? <laughs> Okay, so my top 13, my number 13 is Coco. Yes. Which honorable mention. Is definitely a 4. I mean, when he sings the third version oh. of Remember Me to her oh. at the end, oh. I am I'm a 4. Yeah. Uh I'm probably also crying when the climax is happening with when they're in the land of the dead and there's a couple other dude i was crying when he goes visits that dude with the guitar yeah and he, i was and, crying there. like right. i mean i don't know why coco why did i put indiana jones 4 as a lark and not coco it's a crime against nature coco should have been number 13 for me yeah um or better number 12 eternal sunshine of the spotless mind mm. so not only is this my you know one of my top three movies but it, and so poignant and so 
uh, and I recently rewatched it and mm-hmm. thought, I'm probably not going to like it. I know where it goes. Yeah. But it moves so fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And each scene, you know, I remember the point the movie was making, yeah. but I forgot how details, how the, funny the it is. Yeah. But also just how funny. Like oh, there's yeah, these yeah. scenes where, like where, you know, Jim Carrey's character is a kid and he goes back in time and he's a little boy and he's like, they're making me hit the bird with this hammer, you know, and and she's like, you don't have to do it if you don't want to, you know, and they're just having this like, yeah. she's like, do you like my hat? Like, I don't know. There's just these really... Very and, uh, Rushmore or um, almost Wes Anderson in moments. In yeah, yeah, and, and it, similar to like with you with Boyhood, there are yeah. parts of this movie that touch me in ways that I've never been touched, yeah, you yeah. know, like ideas or memory, you know, that's what I love about Wes Anderson as well, that they'll put together a scene and I'm like, I can relate to so many aspects. It's sort of like this, you know, reference in Ratatouille where the, the food critic is given the Ratatouille. And there are certain storylines or emotions or experiences that will transport me back to when I was seven in a way that I've never done before. And eternal sunshine does that in like a thousand ways. You know, it's funny. Eternal sunshine, a movie I love. Absolutely. But it's interesting that I, I didn't, at least I don't remember having, for me, it was more of like just being so engrossed on, on like the details of the sci-fi aspects of it and just the conceptual aspects of it. Which are interesting yeah. in and of itself as right. well. Yeah. Um, but the parts that make me cry are towards the end when they're, spoiler alert, deciding to be in a relationship again, again with each yeah. other, even though they know... Yeah very viscerally because they're listening to these audio cassette tapes of themselves talking eternal crap about each other but they've forgotten and they're like well let's do it again and like that's probably like a three for me (laughs) Uh, number 11 schindler's list Uh uh-huh the main scene that gets me a four is when the you know liam meeson's character is like I could have sold this car and gotten 10. Yeah. I could have sold this watch and gotten three. And he, he's breaking down and he's on the ground. He's like, I could have saved more people. Yeah. And then there's so many aspects of that that make me sob. One is to watch someone who's already sacrificed. Because you get this sense of he's been holding on for years now, putting on the face of a, right. of a loyal Nazi and not able to be himself. And then when he's finally at the finish line, he can kind of break down and, and cry yeah. about it. And he feels guilty. And so you feel yeah. bad for him. But then also the fear of, or the, the sadness, deep sadness of um, the, uh, what's his face? The character, the Jewish yeah. character, the main, you know, the clerk played by, what's his face? That played Gandhi. Anyway, he comes to the Liam Neeson character and says, it's okay. You, you did so much. Look at all the people that you said. Right. And then, so that, that grace that he gives him makes yeah. me cry. But then this other layer of like all the millions who died who yeah. he couldn't save, you know, and and how in unjust and meaningless it was. Like not yeah. meaningless, but how pointless it was. How you know, so it's it's layer upon layer of of sadness. Really. I cried a lot, I'm sure. I actually I have I have very little memory of how I physically was but all i know for a fact is i was in shock for a lot of that movie that whole second half and and partially 
I don't know about you. Like, I knew such so little about what happened in well, the Holocaust. Of course, we knew what happened on, on a broad stroke, but this depicted yeah. it in, you know, viscerally. And, you know, you saw, oh, that's what it was like. You know? It was like part of it is in Colombia. I didn't grow up learning about the Holocaust at all, like zero. Oh, oh. And until I was 15, most of the history I knew about was about how you know, the conquistadors and the thing and all the things in Latin America and all those things. Very little about U.S. history. And yes, I knew about World War II somewhat. I think bad things happened. I knew the Nazis well, were bad. Well, it makes sense. You know, Colombia wouldn't be that interested yeah. in teaching the history of World War and II. And I'd watched movies where Nazis were bad, like The Sound of Music. Yeah. But I didn't know about the Holocaust. I mean, I knew, but I didn't know. Right. Yeah, that, that movie is still brutal. Uh, number 10, Dead Poet Society. Mm, yes. I saw this when I was 17 or 18, <laughs> and it was directly geared towards my brain. <laughs> the carpe diem, yeah. the brotherhood, yeah. the following a mentor, the breaking free, the self-expression, yeah. the um, depression and sadness and suicide was all like a lightning rod to my soul when I was 18. And I remember I wrote I wrote songs about this movie. Oh, wow. I thought about this movie. I would doodle little yeah. sayings from this movie. Like the, the sort of party guy who uh, was kind of a slut man, slut yeah, boy yeah. or something. Like there were certain things that he said that I remember just being like, oh my God, that's like... That's, like you wanted to be in the Dead Poets Society. Yeah. And I, I did. So, I, I mean, have I ever told you I started my own like fraternity? You told me that. Yeah. yeah. I, I, you didn't mention the connection to this movie, but I, you told me about that. Well, I watched the movie after mm. I started, but... but I, you had a, a relationship in that sense. Like, I have a team of people, too. Right. And we, we called us. We had a name for ourselves yeah. and we had secret meetings. And I, So you could relate to that. Yeah, I did. And I didn't know what i was you know later years later yeah. i i realized that what i had created basically out of thin air was something that people have been creating for hundreds of years you know right. these these little like with um jr token and his buddies yeah, yeah. they created this group where they you know wrote stories and yeah. had this little club and and it's something that you know, the Dead Poet Society and then the guys. Anyway, I always, is, by the way, I always wanted that when I was a kid. Uh, in fourth and fifth grade, we had a, a, a teeny little four of us were in a secret club. But it was very, you know, it's fourth and fifth grade. So, And then after that, I always wanted, because my dad used to tell me how when he was a teenager, they had a club. And it was... In they had a room in the house, and I knew which room it was. And they had a club, and they had club meetings, and they would do all these things. I always wanted that, and I never had it. I never knew how to start one. No, no one invited me to one. <laughs> well, I just started one. I just, yeah. I just uh, made a list of, you know, thirty guys that I liked in my school that I'd grown up with, and I invited, I don't know, fifteen or ten, and four or five showed up to the first initiation uh, and i initiated all of them and then yeah. we initiated a couple more and then at its max i think it was like nine guys <laughs> and so uh cool. and we're still friends you yeah. know anyway um so yeah the parts that i cry are when they stand up on the desks that's a big tear jerking moment um but there are others and uh that's definitely a 
3.5. Number yes. nine is Black Klansman, which isn't a tearjerker movie, of course, uh, but there are a few moments. Uh, I definitely was a two crying when there's a, there's a couple scenes where a charismatic civil rights black leader is giving a speech and there are all these uh, people in the audience and they all have, you know, their cool yeah, yeah. duds the and their, their afros and, and the looks on their faces and the way Spike Lee, like, uh, focus. I've never seen a scene like this in a movie and it gives me chills just thinking the, yeah. the charismatic leader is, is speaking truth to power and is inspiring them and me. Yeah. And then Spike Lee like zooms in, you know, face by face. Right. And it's, you almost expect to see yourself. As yeah. One of the faces. And it's lit perfectly. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like, it's, it's almost like found founding fathers. Like, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and you can, and you can see the dedication and the resolve in the audience members. Like and, you almost expect, and this one went on to do this and this yeah. one went on to do yeah. And the, the the fighting the good fight right and so I was definitely a two during that but what happened to me was at the very end of the movie he Spike Lee uh, has this series of all these things all these flashes of real footage and things that are happening coming up to the day and it's like boom 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 and I walked out of the theater and I was just so moved Mm. and I just Sobbed and sobbed and sobbed and sobbed and sobbed. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, there's something I didn't put in the list. Some cases, because it cut too deep. Uh, but I, I think you might remember that after I saw... And it, it's a documentary, so I also didn't do any documentaries. But after I saw the Michael Jackson documentary. Hmm. Do you remember I told you... I I finished it in the car, like the final scene I was watching. Finding, finding Neverland. Yeah. And I, I was in my car. I, I spent like 20 minutes bawling. It was weird and like powerful and scary, um, but I like as you're describing walking out of the theater and getting a reaction like that's that's intense. Yeah. And what I was crying for was the injustice. You know, there. I, the first time I really remember having this feeling was veterans day or memorial day i think it was veterans day in like 97 or something and i I remember you know veterans day memorial day unless you have someone in your family in the military which i don't they kind of just are a generic holiday yeah and i had never really thought about veterans day or memorial day before that and but this one veterans day i remember i think i might have been watching the news or something and they were talking about um, veterans who had died overseas or, you know, over the uh, decades of wars that the United States have been through. And and I just, it just hit me the sacrifice, you know, a 19 year old kid who screams as he goes into battle and dies for me, yeah, ostensibly. And it just... And just thinking about them crumpled up on the beach of Normandy yeah. and just unceremoniously, like, you know, floating in the sh- shallow water and, you know. Start to be cynical and, with and, that kind of image. And 
I just re- I just remember just I remember I was sitting on my bed and I was just sobbing just thinking about all of it. And oh. I remember like ten minutes into crying, I'm thinking, what am I crying about? Like it it <laughs> this is I've always known about this. Like yeah. why is it hitting me right now? Right. And, and and I've had a number of moments like that. Like after watching Black Klansman, the the feeling of it's an injustice cry. Yeah, it's a it's a of sadness for the injustice that other people have been through of just like, why did, did people do that to other people? I guess. Number eight is little match girl. It's a short by Disney and, and it, but it's, well, actually it's originally like a, a, an older story, but Disney made it into this beautiful uh, cartoon short. And it is, heart-wrenching and definitely a four (laughs) it's about a little girl who is begging on the streets and she similar to the giving tree by shell servicing like is always sacrificing and then finally sacrifices and and then dies i think at the end i don't know i i can't remember because i was crying so number seven is forrest gump i know some people think this is a cheesy movie it hasn't really i love it hasn't really aged well i don't think i I still love that but in terms of a cultural phenomenon i don't think it's aged well you know like i think at for five or ten years it was like the most beloved movie of all time i think today people when they look back at it they're kind of like eh. but anyway at the time when I watched it in the subsequent reviewings that, you know, that I would yeah. see over the next five years or so, there, there are a number of moments where I cry. Oh, yeah. Uh, but the one that makes me uh, 3.5 is when he goes to, it's the very end of the movie, ends up at Jenny's apartment and right. uh, she's like, uh, he, he meets her son and, and he, she says his name is Forrest, and Forrest oh, it's like me. Forrest Gump says, "Oh, that's like me." And Forrest is just kind of looking at the boy, just quietly loving the boy from afar, or admiring the boy, you know. Right. And Jenny says, "Well, you know, his father's—he's named after his father." And Forrest Gump's like, "Oh, his father's named Forrest too," you know. That's that, so weird. And of course, us, the viewer, are just like Forrest. <laughs> it's yeah. you. You can't see the forest. And so uh, the first sadness is like Jenny's been treating him like crap yeah. this entire time and he hasn't been a part of his own son's life. Right. So you feel bad. And, and then the feeling of a person like Forrest suddenly realizing that he's a father and then, and then <laughs> he says, he, he like realizes, wait, like I'm the father? And then he's like, he looks at Jenny, he's like, is he, and I don't know the full line, but I think it's like is understood he like that he's based, like, is he like me? Is, is he, yeah. does he have an, does he have an IQ of 70, yeah. you know? And oh, the, the confluence yeah. of, of everything in that moment, just the, the sadness and the oppression that he has experienced you, you you finally realize that he's been hurt right. by the comments that and the bullying in his, in his low intellectual prowess he can still understand pain and yeah and he wouldn't him. wish that on his own yeah. son like that's his first thought is yeah. i hope that he's not like me yeah oh. and, and as if he's a bad person right. you know as right. if forrest 
isn't one of the you know the character the one best of the people in the one history. of the regardless of iq <laughs> yeah and and because of our stupid society his first thought is i hope he's not like me right oh it just gets me number six rogue one we talked about that uh number five grave of the fireflies which you haven't seen yeah but you've told talked about it it's about world war ii anime it's sort of like a studio ghibli yeah. movie is it studio ghibli or ghibli i've heard I both i've always said ghibli but oh, maybe it's ghibli um is it's sort of like that and it's about this boy and his younger sister who are in tokyo during the war as the bombings are happening and there's and they're falling slower and slower into, into poverty and into starvation and the fireflies are the firebombing of tokyo and there's right. you know Anyway, and it's it's a beautiful movie, and although it's terribly depressing, it's actually entertaining in a way. So I feel like didn't I try to watch this with you one time, or you were? So there was a place where it was playing, but it was really late at night, and I I, I was falling asleep. Could be it, it, like it was one of those like house parties or something. We're like, oh, we gotta watch this, but then I was like. I, so I missed it. I didn't watch. I mean, it. I wouldn't put it past me to like try to get someone to watch yeah. this movie late at night, but. I also would like to think that I would realize that's not the sort of movie you watch it. So we might have not been. Yeah. Who knows? Number seven is Moonrise Kingdom. Really all Wes Anderson movies get, get me, but this one uh, is my favorite. And there are so many moments. I mean, when Sam and um, what's the girl's name? Is it April or something? Uh, They're on the beach and they're just hanging out similar to boyhood where it, they it strikes a chord where like, Oh, I remember what it was like to be a yeah, yeah. to be a 12 or 11 years old. And, and, and then at the, the, and then there's a whole series of events that happen at the end where it, it makes me cry that the sacrifice that they, you know, <laughs> when people sacrifice for other people, it makes me cry. Yeah. Uh, number three. Oh, toy story three. I forgot that that was on my list too. Oh, by the way, there is something because with Wes Anderson movies. So you know how you were saying that there's something you recognize yeah for me it's almost the opposite effect what makes it so fascinating for me is that a lot of the things he shows me i know from pictures in a magazine or from distant ideas but they seem always very foreign and remote to me like yeah a wealthy family or someone who goes hunting or yeah. and that to me is so fascinating <laughs> yeah uh, to me it's this um new england elite yeah um trappings right. but that's not what i'm saying i recognize no you you, you recognize moments of interaction yeah like stuff. yeah we saw darjeeling limited and there's this one scene you know the three brothers are fighting the whole time right and they're at each other's throats they're they're jealous of each other they're bickering and then someone like screws with one of their cars like a mechanic i can't remember what happens but someone starts to screw with one of the brothers. And for the very first time, the other brothers come to their side and in this really cartoony way, but a way that just gets <laughs> under my skin, it's a depiction of brotherly loyalty right. regardless of bickering right. and of sacrifice and of family, yep. you know, of we are family. It doesn't matter. Ohana and, means and, family. Yeah, and other movies will depict that in a more realistic way. Right. And I might cry then, but the way that Wes Anderson does it, it's obviously cartoonish, but it somehow makes it 
more of a it's almost it's like still true but it's almost like when you have cartoons like inside out yeah it's it's so far from reality because it doesn't right. look any, especially when you think about little things in your brain. But I think somehow when you do that, it opens the curtains wider into my brain yeah. because I'm already thinking, well, this isn't really real or it's symbolic. <laughs> I'm not struggling with, is this real or not? It's just a straight line to my soul. Right, right. Um, so Moonrise Kingdom, there's a number of moments, particularly then. Inside or Toy Story Three, we've already talked about. Inside Out, we've already talked about. Number one, da 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 da. Mulan. Mulan. So the reason why I bring this up is because one, I love this movie, and I th- I th- I think it's you know a billion times better than the live action. It's one of the best Disney movies that's ever been made, in my opinion. I remember when Mulan came out. Now, in all fairness. It came out right around the same time as Princess Mononoke came out. Not um, yeah. like, you know, the Americanized. Yeah, version. yeah. yeah. Uh, when I went to see Mulan, it was like the where I realized, oh, Disney's coming back. Yeah. Because Disney, to me, had I had lost interest. Yeah. And then I saw it. I was like, whoa, that was solid. Yeah. You know? Now, I didn't have the same, which you'll talk about, but I didn't yeah. have the same maybe cultural connections. But I thought that was like Disney coming back in full force. Yeah, so this is about uh, China and ancient, or China a while ago, hundreds of years ago. And I'm Japanese-American. So not only am I not a Japanese national, I mean, my great-grandparents were born in Japan, so I'm pretty far removed from that. But given that I never see any East Asian art in America, especially back then, or I rarely see it, particularly back then, Seeing a Disney movie, you know, straight down the middle, uh, blockbuster, you know, made for the masses movie with all the Disney trappings with people with slanty eyes, you (laughs) know, people with my skin tone, people with because even though China is so different from Japan, they're enough alike that when I see certain aspects of Chinese culture being depicted, I'm like, oh, that that you know feel i feel something in yeah. in me that's like oh like that's getting me somewhere and for you white people out there in the united states you are personally probably serving you're you're getting served all the time so you don't know what this is you don't know what this feels like since yeah. you were zero and you were watching you know pbs you've had you've had stuff served up to you on your cultural platter your whole life. Imagine never having anything. And then you're 26 years old or however old I was when I saw this movie and I'm sitting in a theater. And so that made me cry. Like, you know, there's ancestors and the dragon spirit and the, the, the father's honor. Which by the way, I think part of um, Coco was a ridiculous success and hit in Mexico. Right. And there's a Colombian movie coming out. Oh, yeah, uh, Colombian Disney. Right, yeah. right. Uh, so maybe you'll have to alter your top yeah, thirteen. Yeah. Um, it's but it's also a great movie, and I cried during the during the tear jerking moments at the end. But I cried, no joke, two thirds of this movie. <laughs> it, um, Mulan would just do something cool, uh-huh. you know, like she finally figures out how to climb right. the the pole. I'm, and you're crying. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not even. I'm not just crying. I'm a full on. Right. I'm a full on four. Right. And I remember thinking, like, why am I crying 
this entire movie. So that's why it definitely goes on the number one because right. one, it was the most crying I might have ever done in any movie. And I was it, it, it was also special to me because, you know, I've talked about this before when I was in the f- fifth, sixth grade, I, you know, was still crying occasionally mm-hmm. the way kids will when they get afraid or their feelings are hurt. And I didn't want, I wanted to be a man. I wanted to be a good, proper boy. And so I, I went on this campaign to stop crying. And so I transferred all of my tears into anger and I, no one ever told me to do it. I just came up right. with that myself. And so whenever I had an urge to cry, I would actually clench my fists and get angry. And I, so I, I managed to stop from crying. Cause you were trying to make a man out of you. <laughs> right. And so for, Ironically. for years I didn't cry. Uh, I stopped crying. And I remember when I was in my early 20s, mid 20s, particularly when I started to become a therapist, I thought, is there something broken in me? Because yeah. I can't cry. And so I went on a campaign to start to re-cry you again. And, 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 and I would, uh, when I thought, I bet you this is one of those times when I should be crying. And I would actually try to physically push tears out of my <laughs> eyes. And it slowly but surely over time, I started to cry. And then when I saw Mulan, this is when the dam had fully yeah. broke. I had the similar experience to you for different reasons and different timings, but we've talked about this. I, My dad literally scared me into not crying. And I didn't cry. I wouldn't cry. I wouldn't cry for anything. I got hurt super bad so many times. Didn't cry. Because I was a man, you know. And then I think it was um, movies, I'm sure. No, you know what, Ashley? There was another thing that happened. Because I didn't go to concerts growing up. And the first concert I went to was The Cure. But then when I started going to live music, I remember actually I, I would get tears in my eyes because of the over overwhelming emotion of those moments. And I think that's where I started being like, I'm... I think I need to cry a little bit, you know? And then movies, of course. What concert do you think you would have been crying? I have a feeling like um, Erasure might have been one of them, but definitely Depeche Mode. I remember because, you know, Depeche Mode was my Beatles, you know, if if that makes any sense. Depeche Mode was the band that when I moved up here, I was able to connect with my best friends that I've kept since then, like Ron, over Depeche Mode. Because I didn't know bands. I didn't know who anyone was. I didn't know who sings what. I grew up on Top 40. And then I'm talking to Ron in, our, in the bus. We're in the back of the bus. And he's like, well, do you know this? Do you know? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. And then he's like, so you don't. And then he said Depeche Mode. And I knew that name. Because I knew the songs on the Top 40 that were some of my favorite songs. I'm like, oh, I know that. And then we started bonding over that. And then I, he started showing me them. He had all the CDs or he had several of the CDs. How was that your Beatles though? It was my Beatles in that, you know, like when people discovered the Beatles, when the Beatles came out, they must have been like, like this band, it's my band, you know? Well, I wasn't alive when the Beatles came out, but I was alive when the Pesh Mode was out. And so for me, that was the band I was obsessed with. And I, I wanted to make music like them and I... And so I went to their concert and it was so emotional because it was like seeing the Beatles for me. What year? I would have been 90... Was it Violator? Two, yeah, it was the Violator. It was... Oh, wait. Had no. they already put out... Ah, oh, they might have put out... Songs of... Songs of whatever it was called. Faith and Devotion. Could have been. Which I... I liked some of the... I liked was half that, the songs. Is but, that... I feel... Yeah, I didn't like that song. Yeah. But 
they did all the violator stuff too though yeah i can't remember which i, I saw them was, i saw them definitely violator 1990 and so it wouldn't have been 1990 because my first concert was 91 and it was the cure okay it had to be songs of faith and devotion and I, they didn't, they didn't come to Seattle, so we actually had to go to Vancouver, Canada to see. I definitely them. saw them in Seattle, so that was later. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. I didn't pretty much from Songs of Faith and Devotion on. I stopped listening. And same with me. It's just that they played a lot of their catalog, and I was like, oh my. God. So, anyways, but I, I'm, what I'm saying is that I had a similar journey where I, I rediscovered that I could cry, and I, and, but but then even years much much later where I had full breakdowns over my mom and things like that, where I was like, oh my God, what is happening, you know? And it's because of that, like, internalization of, like, you should not cry, you should not express your emotions, you should not feel. Yeah, in this um, weird way, as you're feeling like not a man, and you're not brave enough as a man, you can't cry like a man. And the more of a man I became and the braver I became and the more courage I had and the more self-esteem I had, the more crying I did. Yeah, definitely. So we got through one top 13 (laughs) um, and we have 13 13, other... 12 more. (laughs) 12 more other top three. I don't know if we'll do all of them, but maybe we'll... Some of them are not going to be as... Right. Some of them aren't going to be that... So tune in next time when we continue reviewing <laughs> our top 13 list from the 13th anniversary 13-hour live show. And everyone out there, please take care of yourself because... You deserve it. <laughs>